Hey everyone, this is your friend Bully, and you're listening to Bully Esquire. In this podcast, we chat with the movers and shakers from the worlds of finance, tech, crypto, politics, law, and media, and everything in between. Thanks for joining. Let's dive in. This podcast is powered by Blockworks, the fastest growing crypto media company. Blockworks has 20 crypto and finance podcasts, and I'm excited to be part of the network. Visit blockworks.co for access to the highest quality information in the space. I promise you won't be disappointed. Today's episode is brought to you by Node40, Crypto.com, and Gemini. You'll hear more about them later in the episode. Today's guest is Michael Ippolito, co-founder of Blockworks. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Bully. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I appreciate it. And, you know, full disclosure, Blockworks is obviously um, the production company that hosts and sponsors this podcast. So um, just want to get that out of the way up front, but um, exactly. There's a little bit of fun nepotism going on right here. So, yeah, uh, exactly. Like uh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Right? <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, you know, you guys recently launched this new media line and I was like, I think it's a good chance for you to come on and just talk about it because the space is sort of heating up generally this kind of media side with the block and CoinDesk and all of the various media agencies. So just kind of curious to hear your take on the the space generally. But, you know, before we get into that, I always like to ask my um, podcast guests about sort of their background and how they got into crypto, because it's always such a interesting answer. So yeah, yeah I'm just kind of curious to hear how you ended up in this crazy space. Yeah, well, you, you know, my co-founder, Jason, I always joke that it's it's all his fault, but uh, and that's only <laughs> a half of a half of a joke. Um, honestly, it's, it's kind of a pretty similar story that a lot of people, uh, I, I just kind of fell down the rabbit hole. Um, so Jason and I, uh, Jason's my co-founder, we were buddies uh, from college. And I think within our, our friend group, we were kind of the two that really got interested in this space. And that was around 2016, late 2016, early 2017, and like so many other people, uh, we learned from Twitter and passing uh, podcast episodes and articles on Medium and all that kind of stuff. And um, I think it really turned for us when we started going to events. We, we both live in New York. And, you know, you go to these events in 2017. And back then it was it was mayhem, if you remember. Like It feels so different to how it does now. But, for sure. you know, every day there'd be a new ICO and it'd be going up a thousand X and you'd be like, God, why did I get that one? You know, <laughs> all this... Uh, all this crazy emotion and you'd go to these events and you'd be like, okay, 90% of this is hot air, but there's some real interesting people here. Um, and eventually after going to a bunch of these events, what we figured out is there's a real need in the space for um, an institutional source of knowledge. You know, the way that we figured out and learned about this space, which through Twitter and podcasts, that's just not going to cut it for a certain professional class of people. And even if you listen to how Michael Saylor describes getting his board, um, you know, indoctrinated with Bitcoin he talks about sending him YouTube videos. You know, it's nuts. That's <laughs> crazy. That's insane that he did that. Uh, but basically we figured out that there was a real need um, for institutional participants to figure out how to interact with this space. And that was kind of the early genesis for Blockworks. Sure. Yeah, no. And even now it's like, if somebody's, if somebody asks, you know, where, where can I find some information on DeFi or, you know, cryptocurrency or something, there isn't a, like a super good answer. Just, I think it's sort of how the space is generally it's decentralized, right? So there's all of diff 
like basically whatever you kind of want from a source of truth and information. But I agree with you that, you know, as the space becomes more sophisticated and um, advanced that having kind of central depositories of information is really helpful for particularly the new folks. Exactly. Because what are you going to do? You're going to send your buddy to, hey, the, you know, you're interested in DeFi. You got to check out this guy, DGen Spartan you <laughs> right. know, on, on Twitter. That, that guy's got, you know, shout out DGen. Uh, you probably don't know who I am, but I follow you. Uh, he's got great information, but you really got to wade through some, uh, some interesting uh, material uh, to get to the good stuff. Yeah, no. And I mean, there's all of these like sort of terms of art, like rug and FOMO and racked. And you're just like, what is going on? And then you get, there's even like some bad actors who will sort of try to prey on that. You know, I don't want to get too far down the political rabbit hole here, but some of like the Bitcoin forks, for example, will sort of proclaim themselves as the Bitcoin um, or the real Bitcoin. And so people coming in are like, wait, which which one's Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I agree with you. And I think from the institutional side, you know, once you get like actually asset managers and like serious financial brokers and things in the space, like you said, they can't just sit on Twitter and Discord all day like we do. They actually have to like, yeah, right. um, get some like real sort of sources of truth. Yeah. It's... Um... Yeah, it's, it's a big challenge. And you really got to put yourself in the shoes of these people because these are all just normal people and they have lives and they have businesses and they have uh, objectives that they need to to capture. And, and for a lot of people that kind of fell down the rabbit hole, it was initially the intellectual curiosity that drove them. But uh, for some of these institutional guys, it's a very different story. You know, you're looking at, I think this year, one of the big trends that we're seeing is um, kind of wealth management and RIAs coming into this space. And the reason that they're coming in is people are saying, you know, their clients are kind of coming to them and saying, hey, there's this thing, Bitcoin, and you told me that this was dead, but now it's gone up, you know, however many hundred of percent and talk to me about this. Where does this belong in my portfolio? You know, should I be allocating? And what they're trying to, what they're thinking is, I don't want to look stupid to my client here, right? So I got to figure out what this asset is. Um, I got to figure out where it belongs in a portfolio and a way that I can talk about it uh, and sound somewhat intelligent. And most importantly, I got to figure out how it folds into my infrastructure, right? And how I'm going to get paid on this because right now there aren't many, uh, there's no ETF, right? So there's no easy way for RAs to get paid. Um, so I think there's just still a huge um, education gap. I think there's a lot of uh, stigma um, that still needs to get solved. And, you know, one of the reasons that we decided to invest, you know, we've been operating for three years and we only rolled out the editorial stuff um, this year because up until very recently, there hadn't been a lot of institutional demand, right? Mm -hmm. When you think about what a media company is, is you're building an audience and then you're monetizing that audience. And crypto as an asset class has been a vast majority retail, um, you know, for its entire existence up until I would say the last six, six months or so. So naturally the, the media companies that, um, you know, grew up in the space, they, they served a retail audience. And I think only within the last six months or so has there been enough demand um, to actually create an institutionally slanted uh, brand of media. Um, and so that's why we kind of made the decision to move into uh, editorial and news when we did. Sure. Yeah, you know, that old sort of meme this time is different, but I, I, I've tweeted this recently, like this time really is different. I mean, yeah. It, yeah, it's incredible to see like how quickly the sort of institutional adoption stuff has happened. 2021 has been just like a blur of announcements of, you know, from Tesla to Square to micro strategies and like every company in between now seems to be like, oh shit, we need to allocate some of our balance sheet to 
to kind of get on the Bitcoin train. I do. The FOMO is real. FOMO is real, my friend. It is. Yeah. They're being thoughtful about it though, as well. I would say there's some really thoughtful allocators and it's been cool to watch the genesis of the types of people that are allocating. Like if you go back to 2017, 2018, at what we called kind of the institutions, which everyone in crypto groups into one bucket, that was really kind of family offices and uh, proprietary trading desks, uh, because it was really hard from a fiduciary standpoint to manage someone else's money and allocate it to crypto. There were just too many uh, infrastructure questions, uh, right? Custody, uh, which everyone who's been in the space, you know, is, it feels like it's been talked to death, but it's still the number one thing that banks are concerned about. Um, so as some of those, you know, fast forward, three years later, um, and some of those problems are really starting to get meaningfully solved. And you're starting to look at a new class of money manager move into this space. So even if you look at some of the announcements earlier this year, there were guys like Eric Peters, One River Asset Management, um, and Roofer, and those are volatility guys. They make bets on volatility. So you know, Bitcoin and, and crypto just being the space that it is, that makes a lot of sense for them. But I think the really interesting thing to watch is uh, you know, mass mutual um, which they're an insurance company that bought $100 million worth of Bitcoin, I think back in December. And there have been other unannounced uh, purchases um, from insurance companies. And those, that's a very different class of institution. Uh, they are uh, buy and hold. They have very long uh, timeframes. So it's really interesting to see a different mix of institutional involvement. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And I mean, insurance companies, it's like, that's about as conservative <laughs> So yeah, as they come. Exactly. And, you know, yeah, you can, you can sort of understand like a hedge fund, you know, if it moves trade it sort of guys wanting to get involved in crypto, because it's so volatile. And just, you know, there's a good way to, and like, frankly, the trading markets aren't that sophisticated in crypto yet, you know, you could come in with these Wall Street algos and probably clean house, but Mm-hmm. They just, I, I had um, Ari Paul on a few weeks ago, and he was talking about this, about how, you know, it's just such a small asset class, yeah. relatively still that like, big trading desks are like, we're not going to put our best guys, we're not going to put our best sort of algos <laughs> on the stuff, we're going to give it to like, you know, the the 26 year old, um, maybe or like, you know, one of the back office desks in New Jersey and let them take a crack at it. But as it becomes yeah. bigger and more advanced, we'll probably see the markets sort of become more and more sophisticated. But for now, it does seem like there's some opportunity for the volatility traders to really clean up. But I do agree that it is interesting to see kind of these bigger players like the insurance companies. And now you see like BlackRock and um, Fidelity and these other massive money managers coming in too. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see um, what happened because one of the the value propositions of Bitcoin for a long period of time has been an uncorrelated uh, asset, right? That's kind of what you hear. Hey, this is, you know, uncorrelated asset. It creates, it allows diversification in your portfolio, blah, blah. But it, it will be interesting to see as the holder base for Bitcoin becomes more and more institutional uh, and especially as leverage is applied, um, whether or not that uncorrelated status of Bitcoin is going to continue. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you're, I'm not sure what, I know you're big on crypto Twitter. I'm not sure if you've been seeing this flurry about, uh, you know, uh, you know, the long-term uh, treasury yields popping up and whether or not that impacts Bitcoin. Everyone's freaking out about that. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see because it kind of actually looks like Bitcoin is trading in response uh, to what's going on with the 10-year. Um, mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what happens as the, the holder base becomes more institutional. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And I mean, and then you have sort of laid over top of that, the the digital gold narrative and like hedge against inflation or hedge against 
you know, I guess market volatility, but over the last year or so, I mean, the price of Bitcoin has been very closely tied to sort of traditional equities markets. Um, so, you know, you wonder if that decoupling will happen at some point where Bitcoin like starts to trade differently or independent of the, the equity markets um, or sort of in response to other economic forces, like you said, the, the treasury bond yield or perhaps even inflationary issues that crop up due to federal spending. So, yeah, there's all of these super interesting macro yeah. kind of forces at play as well. Yeah, really, really interesting stuff. Well, before we get too down the rabbit hole, I would like to hear kind of so just kind of the history of Blockworks and what you guys started doing. I mean, you know, I know you guys as a kind of a podcast production company. Was that the original vision? <laughs> that was not the original vision. That we <laughs> not at all. We, we actually started as an events company. Um, oh. So I was saying, you know, we went to these events back in the day in 2017 and. Uh, you know, at one point, Jason and I just kind of asked ourselves, do we think we could host these things uh, better? Um, and it, the honest genesis of this, this whole thing came, we were originally thinking about doing a consulting company within the space because I was doing consulting before. Um, and we went to this event and I remember we paid a bunch of money or sitting in this event. I was so pissed off because we paid a bunch of money and like left work early. And I was sitting, listening to these people talk on stage. I was like, God damn it. What a waste of time this was. But, uh, the light bulb kind of went off. We look around this room and it was packed full of people. And we're like, you know, I paid 200 bucks for this. So did everyone else. And there was some sponsors here. I bet people made real money off hosting this event. Um, and that's how we initially came up with the idea to host events, uh, to build a brand that might lead to consulting down the road. Um, and we literally, after that day, we just went home, we got a whiteboard, you know, charted out, this is what we would need to host an event. We need, you know, speakers, number one, we need a venue, number two, we need to somehow figure out how to get people there. Um, and it was a nights and weekends thing. It was just a little side hustle. Um, and the, the first event that we, that we hosted, we got like 250 people to show up. Uh, we made 10 or 15,000 bucks. Uh, and after that, we were like, okay. And we sat down and we charted out, all right, we're both going to work for a year. You know, we're going to pay ourselves salary and that's going to go into the business, yada, yada. Uh, one month later, we had both uh, quit our jobs and we're going full time. <laughs> 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 yeah, like the classic story. Uh, and on the second event, we actually lost money. Only event we've ever lost money. So you can imagine we're like, we both just quit our jobs. You know, I was doing consulting. Jason had this good job in a venture back startup. And we're like, what did we do here? <laughs> just, you know, moving into this crypto thing, we're hosting events. Uh, but the next one uh, was a big event for us. Uh, and that was actually the event that we met uh, Pomp at. And Pomp is how we uh, found our way into into podcasting. Sure. Yeah, that guy. I, I don't think that guy sleeps or <laughs> he does sure. confirmed No. Yeah, Dude, he's the Energizer Bunny, really. Yeah, he is a machine. I mean, he has his like fingers in every different pie, too. I mean, he has this new job board. He has this podcast. He does a million times a week. He has like his VC fund now. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so were you guys like, oh, we'll just start a podcast or did Pomp already have one? And you're like, we'll help sort of manage the sponsorship side of it. No. So Pomp spoke at one of our events and he sent us an email the next day. It was like, what are you guys doing with this business? Like, what's your objective here? You know, we sent this long thing out, you know, we're like, uh, you know, we're doing this and this, and these are our plans. And, you know, we kind of, Jason, and I looked at it like, he wants to invest in the business. <laughs> you know? um, and he, he called us in and he was like, look, I, I want to start a podcast. I want you guys to help me do it. Mm. Uh, we had no idea how to do it at the time, but we were like, absolutely. Sure. We'll help you do that. Um, and we, 
yeah, we just kind of figured out how to do it. We, we found a graphic designer. Uh, we found someone, we actually created uh, the jingle in-house ourselves. We helped book the initial guests and, and we launched it. Um, and I think the sponsor that we sold on that, that first sponsorship, that was almost as much as we'd made from all the events prior to that. And we were like, oh my God, this is a really interesting uh, line of business. So that kind of, that experience. And then after Pomp, we went out to other uh, people like, you know, like yourself. Um, and that kind of started this interesting line of business for us, which is we're basically a podcast in a box. So if you're someone who's a, a talented content creator, um, you know, we will help you kind of put a business around and help you monetize um, creating podcasts and YouTube and, and all this other stuff. Uh, so that was, um, yeah, that's how, that's how we started that business. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, personally, it's been nice because the production company handles all the, the like editing and stuff. I'm an idiot at that stuff. So I, <laughs> I couldn't do that, but yeah, no, I, I mean, otherwise I probably wouldn't have even started a podcast. So no, it, 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 it's beneficial for both the content creator as well as you guys to kind of have that symbiotic relationship. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious. We, I don't even think we've talked about this since, but what did you think? Cause I think we reached out to you and we were like, Hey, we should hop on a phone and we think you should start a podcast. What, what was your reaction? You're like, who are these guys? Yeah, no. And I, I, I'd, I'd known Jason and, you know, we traded DMS for a long time. And then finally, it was, um, yeah, we had a call and I think you're like, take the weekend and think about it. And then two hours later, I was like, I'm in, let's, <laughs> let's do it. Cause I like sat down at it, you know, after I've been, I've had my Twitter account since 2017 and I've been in the space since 2016. And, you know, you just get to know a lot of people yeah. being in telegram groups and discords and things. And I was like, man, I just know a lot of cool and interesting people. And like, why not sit down for an hour a week? can just chat with them yeah. um so it's been a lot of fun and it's been a way to like you know almost have like a social outlet during the pandemic when you can't really like go out and go to a bar so totally. <laughs> i guess the next best thing is just like hop on a, a call and record it <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah no it's uh it's it's been fun but uh, yeah so have you guys like um you know, you kind of hear about the traditional VC backed sort of business model. You guys seem like you're actually making money, which is a very unusual proposition for a crypto company or a young startup. It, it, have you done any funding rounds or is this all just like bootstrapped? It's bootstrapped um, and, it, and it, it'll be bootstrapped uh, forever. We there, there was a point in time when we were thinking about raising around um, and we basically went around to our kind of brain trust. And we actually talked to a couple of VCs as well. And, um, you know, basically what people told us was you, you guys have a cash flow positive business. Why would you try to take on the, the headache of, of bringing on investors basically? Uh, and I think being a bootstrap company, I'm not going to lie and say that, you know, it's all good or all bad, like, like all things, there's, there's two sides to everything, but I think it, um, it allows you a certain degree of independence that you probably wouldn't had if, if you're, you know, VCs and, and VCs, they've, they've got a certain business model, right? Like they've got to make a return uh, and that can't be, maybe you'd be happy with a 10X or a 20X, but you know, they need hundred baggers, right? That's just how the VC model is, is built. Uh, so I think um, it's, it's worked for us. Awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's great advice. If you can stay bootstrapped and do it in a way that scales, like, yeah, there's no, there's no need to sort of take on the ass ache of, <laughs> yeah. of, of a VC. Cause you know, I, I've, I've negotiated plenty of those deals over the years and nothing's free, right? Like they want no. a board seat, they want control, they want sort of veto rights over certain things. And 
yeah, I mean, it, it comes with a, with a pretty high cost. Yeah. And I don't mean, I'm not bad mathing VCs. I think there are a lot of, there are a lot of good VCs in crypto, uh, yeah. especially call out. For I just sure. think it just, it just didn't make sense for us, honestly. No, no, I agree. And I mean, if, if your business model works on its own, why, why do it? It's like, if you could buy a car with cash, you don't necessarily need to take out a loan to do it. Yeah, right. so, exactly. Some people need a loan and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Well, awesome. So then, okay you you kind of got into this podcast space and you're sort of scaling the business i suppose you had to like hire some folks to go out and sell the ads and um you know just kind of deal with the management of the business what what does sort of the scaling process at blockworks look like over those over those few years yeah there were some really uh critical hires that we made in the beginning uh one that i know you know um there's this woman julie who was oh my god julie oh my god (laughs) yeah she is uh she is a beast she was one of the very early ones that we brought on uh there's a funny story with that too and she she and jason overlapped at this company sisense that they were both working at for like a month and we um let's say to host and organize event, you need a certain uh, attention to detail that uh, I'm not going to say Jason and I don't have it, but uh, let's say other people have more of it. Uh, so we were looking for someone to help us with that. And uh, Jason reached out to, we were like, oh, we could never get this this woman, Julie. She's, you know, whatever, she'd be out of our league. But we emailed her and said, hey, do you do you know anyone? You know, you're in this event space. Do you know anyone that would, would help us? And she was like, let's take this offline. And, uh, and <laughs> one month later, she was, she was starting it at Blockworks. Um, but you know, I think uh, overall, we probably set hiring objectives very similar to other companies. We try to map out, you know, at the beginning of each year. Right, we've, we're at X employees now. We'd like to be at X employees by the end of the year, and then we end up doing something that's totally different, you know, because <laughs> right. uh, life sort of gets in the way. But I think it's the, it's the major functions of of any company, like sales, um, was really really important for us in the beginning, um, and now we're investing more than we've ever invested in in kind of internal content development. Mm-hmm. So that means, uh, you know, a couple different things. It means, um, you know, hiring really good, uh, talented reporters, which I'm, I'm super proud of, of the ones that we've brought on so far, uh, a talented team of editors, um, and eventually uh, kind of a team of, I don't know, content creator hosts, right, to, to host our own podcasts and, uh, and write newsletters. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of the plan there. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's a big switch, right? I mean, I assume it is from uh, producing podcasts to like, doing a full-blown sort of media desk um, mm-hmm. yeah. what what was I mean what was sort of the I you, you alluded to the to the idea behind it earlier about sort of the institutional source of knowledge and things but like what did that look like as far as execution internally for you guys like what, was this like a year-long plan for you or was it more like oh shit a bunch of institutions are coming let's sort of hustle to figure out how to actually put this out in the market yeah, it was a, it was a couple different things. So, you know, one, a, a lot of this was kind of an indirect. Um, a lot of this actually gets traced back to the pandemic for for two reasons. Uh, one, you know, we at the at the time of the pandemic, fifty uh, percent of our revenue was coming from events, and that all you know vanished, uh, you know, in a puff of smoke. So we we're like, okay, got to find a way to <laughs> to make more revenue, uh, not from the events. Um, and then the second thing was what I was talking about before, which was oh my God, institutions are actually coming into this space and there's more demand for um, kind of an institutional slant to coverage than there's ever been before. So really, you know, it was actually uh, me, Jason and Julie kind of locking ourselves in a room uh, for a couple of days um, while, while lockdown was happening. And we, we charted all of this out 
And, you know, what the execution looked like there is first, you got to find um, an agency, someone to help you actually build the site, and then you got to recruit uh, talent. And honestly, kind of the, it's, it's true with editorial. Like I can talk about how we think about editorial and kind of hiring uh, good talent is the one thing that you need to get right. That's kind of just true in, of any business, right? Like at the end of the day, you're just a collection of people and your best asset are the people that you have. Um, so that, that's really the one, the one kind of the one thing that you need to get right in a company. Um, but for us, it, you know, so the actual rolling out of the site was, it was about um, five or six months from when we first said that we were going to do it to the day that it actually launched. Um, you know, we were kind of working on building the site uh, internally and then, and then hiring people to come on and, and write. Um, and at the same time too, we were giving a lot of thought to what's our kind of content direction going to be. Because if you look at the, the overall media stack within crypto, uh, I would kind of categorize it like actually the mainstream outlets are kind of at the top. If you look at like CNBC or Bloomberg, the, those, those are traditional media outlets, which have huge audiences. And that's how most people kind of first hear about um, Bitcoin or, or crypto or digital assets. Um, and then one layer down, you kind of have your, uh, your Coindesk, right? Which is their initial value proposition was they're a news aggregator uh, in the space. And they kind of cover anything and everything in crypto and they have a, a very large audience. And then as you kind of go further down that, that funnel, then you get more and more specific. I think that the block has done a really good job of creating, uh, you know, they call themselves the first and final word in digital assets. And they write for a digital asset native audience, right? And it's like really well-researched stuff. It's very well done. Uh, but I think it's for people that have already kind of bought into crypto and the ecosystem. And I think where we fit in that is um, actually like kind of a financial audience that has a, a good background in finance and investing. And maybe they know a little something about crypto, but they're still not sure. And they're trying to figure it out from an investment standpoint. So we kind of figured out that's where we want to sit in the overall media stack of crypto. And then it was just, you know, hiring the right people to, to kind of execute. Sure. Yeah. I suppose I haven't thought about that breakdown. I mean, I certainly agree with you about the block and I, I know a lot of those guys. I know Larry, I know Mike um, and Frank's actually come on the show before. So I, I certainly like those guys and I wish them the best, but I, I do agree with you. I suppose now that I'm thinking about it, that they probably focus more on kind of like people who actually are deep in the space and know it and kind of need information quick or like, you know, they'll break stories or have kind of deep dives on, on real nuanced issues or like what's Uniswap's um, sort of monthly data look like versus other decentralized exchanges or something. So th that's a, it's an interesting distinction, I guess, that I hadn't thought about. So as far as focus of the, um, of Blockworks, you guys are, I guess, catering to more of like, not a finance bro, but like sort of a finance bro, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like maybe like a Wall Street guy who's like sort of crypto curious. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, crypto, yeah, experimenting. <laughs> I'm experimenting, I'm dabbling. I right. The recent thing was, yeah, our, honestly, who our audience, um, if you look at a prototypical kind of persona, it's someone from, uh, it tends not to be like the huge uh, funds, like the Black Rocks, but it's, usually like kind of a small uh, investment manager or, or an allocator and they're, they know enough about Bitcoin and they've kind of like, okay, I, I get this stuff. And they've got one level deeper of questions, right? Which is 
How is this going to impact my business? How does this trade, uh, you know, relative to other assets? Um, how would I actually take one step further in, in figuring this out? And if you think about it from the lens of um, someone who's just an enthusiast in, in crypto, which is, hey, this stuff is the future. And I want to figure out not only Bitcoin, but Ethereum and all of these different uh, kind of DeFi applications. And they're just genuinely interested in anything and everything. And they'll just kind of dig super deep and go down these rabbit holes. Um, you know, our audience isn't, isn't really quite like that, right? They're still kind of thinking about this from a utility standpoint and how is this going to impact my job and my business? Um, and how can I think about it from an investing standpoint? So it just means that the coverage that you have is a little bit different. It means the slant uh, on that coverage is, is a bit different. Like we, we try to write exclusively about three different categories, which is um, markets. So developments in kind of uh, market structure, uh, stuff like that. Um, asset management, so actually covering asset managers and what they're doing in the space, and then financial services, which is actually becoming one of the most interesting segments because you know over the course of the last month, uh, all these you know banks and payment processors and and all these very traditional guys are finally getting involved. Uh, so it's just made for some really interesting stuff. This year, the IRS will require you to report your crypto activity when filing your tax returns. Crypto savvy taxpayers are using Node 40 to determine the taxes they owe or losses to claim. Whether you've traded the top five tokens or dove into the new and exciting world of DeFi, Node 40 will provide a bulletproof picture of your current tax liability. Exchanges alone can't provide the reports you need. That's why you need a group of crypto tax geeks like the team at Node 40 in your corner. With Node 40, you won't have to worry about surprises come tax time. Be smart, be prepared, and embrace your crypto lifestyle. My listeners can even take advantage of a bully promo code by signing up today at node40.com slash bully. That's N-O-D-E 40.com slash B-U-L-L-Y. The Crypto.com app is a crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto all in one place. You can earn up to 8.5% APR on your Bitcoin and 14% APR on your stable coins. You'll be paid on a weekly basis and you can choose freely from flexible one month or three month tenures. Get 25 bucks worth of CRO when you download the crypto.com app with the code bully and stake 5,000 CRO or more to take advantage of their interest rate. Download the crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on more than 30 coins. Hey guys, one of our sponsors, Gemini, is launching a new credit card, but it's not a normal credit card where you get rewards back in cash. With this credit card, you get your rewards back in Bitcoin or other available cryptocurrencies. Get paid Bitcoin just for doing your shopping. That's pretty cool. The waitlist is now open, so you can go to Gemini's website and sign up. The earlier you sign up, the higher on the waitlist you'll be when it launches in Q2 of this year. And make sure to check out Gemini's exchange while you're at it. If you open a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash bully and you use my ref link, you can get $10 in Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within 30 days. Once again, that's gemini.com slash bully. Thanks. I'm, I'm curious here, I guess, generally kind of your take on what you think, I guess, the future direction of all of this is like, it seems to be changing so quickly. And like you yeah. said, financial services companies all of a sudden are interested. Do you think that's just solely a reflection of, I guess, number go up and like people are getting rich as shit from Bitcoin being at 50 grand. And so all of a sudden it has a bunch of people's attention. Or do you think like 
this is just part of a longer term trend towards uh, digital native assets being part of like the overall structure of the financial economy? I think yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like yeah, yeah. I agree to both those things. I think people tend to kind of have it backwards. You you hear from a traditional finance crew where their their kind of criticism of Bitcoin is the volatility. And they say, well, hey, this would make sense, you know, if this asset was just kind of not very volatile and, you know, it, it behaved more like a currency and a store of value and yada, yada. And I think that's, um, you're missing something because the way that most people actually get drawn into this space is kind of counterintuitive. It happens with these huge run-ups in price and it gets a bunch of media coverage and everyone starts paying attention. And basically there's a lag effect where after a huge bull run, a whole bunch of people get pulled into the space and they never would have gotten pulled in if it hadn't been for this crazy uh, run up in price, basically. So I think there's a huge positive externality to these four year cycles that uh, that crypto has, which is kind of a big boom and, and then a bust. Because in the boom, what ends up happening is there's a lot of positive attention that gets drawn to it. And yeah, some of it's hypey and, and whatever, but attention gets paid nonetheless. And it kind of ushers in the next generation of entrepreneurs and builders and investors that actually start to take this space uh, seriously. Um, so I, I think there's actually a tremendous positive uh, externality to, to the cycles that crypto has. And then I think overall, I, I think everyone's I think everyone's kind of right. I, I even think the, the things that people were saying in 2017, all that nuts stuff, they were they were dead on. They were just too early. You know, there's this there's this game, um, you know, that came out apparently after the dot com bubble, which was dot bomb. And it was, you know, every stupid idea that people could laugh at, you know, that people thought was a good idea back then. And it was pets.com and yada, yada. And all the ideas that they were making fun of that blew up so spectacularly in the dot-com era uh, was all the unicorns of today, mm-hmm. right? So it used to be pets.com. Now you've got Chewy, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was ride hailing that kind of failed. And now you've got Uber. And um, in a sense, they were just too early. And the reason that a lot of those companies failed was because you didn't have this piece of infrastructure called the iPhone, which was a remote control, wor- you know, a re- remote control for your entire world, right? And um, I think a lot of the stuff in crypto is is kind of at that same inflection point right now. Whereas, if you're in this space, you kind of, I, I think the unifying thing is you look at stuff and it just kind of makes sense and it clicks somewhere deep in you and you're like, this is the future. But you look at it and there are so many problems with it uh, in the interim. And I think we're still, crypto still waiting on its iPhone. You know, you're still waiting for the thing that makes it all kind of make sense. And you still, we don't really know what that is yet, um, but I think it's coming. And at a high level, the, um, the new paradigm that crypto has of, of decentralization and digital bearer assets and, uh, you know, permissionless trust that stuff's all correct at a high level. There's going to be a lot of frictions in between now and then, and adoption is going to take longer than people think and all that stuff. But I think it's all directionally correct. Yeah, no, I I think I broadly agree with all of that. And, you know, one thing I've said over the years is like, well, particularly more recently is that Bitcoin and sort of the other crypto assets like Ethereum and everything else basically are sort of seem to be bifurcating. And like Bitcoin is becoming something completely different than Ethereum. So that's, you know, you see all of this animosity in the community between maximalists and Ethereum devotees or whatever you call them. Um, But it's like, it doesn't make much sense to compare them anymore because Bitcoin is like 
you know, this digital store of value, I guess it's digital gold. And then Ethereum's more like a platform that allows people to like build on top of it and create dApps and, you know, web three applications and all of these other interesting things. But those two things aren't really even that similar. Um, yeah. So, you know, when people are drawn to the space, they may be drawn like the Austrian economics, hard money, anti-inflation hedge of Bitcoin, where, you know, every nation state's going to hold Bitcoin in their reserves, every bank's going to do it, it'll be a million dollars of Bitcoin. And, you know, there's that sort of narrative. And that one makes a lot of sense. But on the other hand, it's like, okay, Ethereum's the world computer, it's the internet 3.0, we're seeing all of these fantastic decentralized finance, the collectibles, the art, the NFTs, all of that. Um, do you guys have sort of a you know, I know a lot of media organizations tend to be agnostic, but maybe I'll just ask the question anyway. Are, are you agnostic on this stuff? And if not, do you have sort of a bend towards one or the other? Or is it new stuff, established stuff? Like, I, I'd be curious to hear what your focus is. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm searching for my disclaimer here where my <laughs> views do not necessarily represent right. the views of Blogger. Um, now, I think overall, like we, we tend to cover stuff around uh, the Bitcoin uh, arena just because that's where... A lot of the interest is from our particular audience, and it's also the stuff that's most established, I think, and there's the least amount of risk. I think just speaking for me personally, you know, when I see those people on uh, Twitter who are, you know, calling everything that's not a Bitcoin scam, I'm just kind of thinking to myself, well, then what are we all doing here? You know, because at the end of the day, if this is all just digital gold, that's not really that exciting. You know, yeah. you're talking about an inflation hedge. So I, I don't know. I, I kind of think that um, for me, crypto is just a new form of governance. It's a coordination mechanism uh, that allows people in a super distributed way to kind of organize themselves, you know, incentive-based organization. And it doesn't require a company. It's a new organizational structure. It's a, it's a better way to structure networks. And I think there's a ton of applications for that. And I think it's, yeah, I get it. it you know, people have misused it and there were definitely a lot of scams and, and not so great stuff. But I do think a lot of this stuff is really innovative. And one of the other really interesting things about digital assets that doesn't get talked about is there's a real amount of growth here. Like there are real use cases for this stuff. You know, it's people actually want things like stable coins. DeFi is actually being used for more than just speculation. And I think if you're, I think if you're ignoring that, you're just missing a whole part of the, the bigger picture. Um, and I don't know, like zooming out and looking at the macro, the world, like developed nations haven't been doing so great with growth over the course of the last you know, 10 or 20 or 30 years, we haven't had real productive growth. So when people talk about, you know, governments are going to ban Bitcoin and all that kind of stuff, I, I kind of think that governments are going to look for growth wherever they can get it. Um, and it's popping up in this weird corner of the world, which is digital assets and crypto. And maybe that's not what you thought growth was going to pop up, but that's where it is. So I, I kind of just think uh, people are going to embrace it at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I certainly your points about sort of 2017 and just not being ready then make a lot of sense to me. And it does seem like now we're actually getting the infrastructure in place that's necessary to build a lot of sort of these promised ideas where it's like, okay, MetaMask, MetaMask is like this amazing way to sort of interact with decentralized systems right. in a way that sort of protects you and it's easy and it's un so like, you know, things like MetaMask and, um, just better wallets, more accessible systems, 
uh, safer UI, better custody solutions, all of these things sort of work together and drive the whole space forward in a way that's really exciting. I, yeah, I completely agree. I actually think if, if you look at the growth of something like stable coins, stable coins are basically the anti ICO. Mm -hmm. You know, ICOs, you raised a bunch of money on something that wasn't even in production yet. It was, you raised all this money off of an idea, right? And the networks are, it's funny, like many of these main nets are just launching now, um, which is pretty crazy, but stable coins, it's the opposite of that. It's purely being driven by people wanting to use stable coins, right? Some mm -hmm. dollar representation in the crypto economy. So, you know, it's just very different. And these people that are saying, oh, DeFi is the new ICO and NFTs are the new ICO, I don't think they must have been there for ICOs because right. those, you know those things were nuts and it felt kind of gross. And mm -hmm. I, I do think even though maybe some stuff is getting ahead of its skis in terms of valuation or whatever, not that anyone can value this stuff anyway, uh, I do think people's hearts tend to be more in the right place. And there are more earnest conversations about how can we actually create products that people want to use and not just how can we raise a bunch of money. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I certainly agree with that. The, the stable coin, I mean, stable coins could turn out to be like one of the biggest uh, innovations out of crypto yeah. at all. I mean, and it's funny to watch the maturation of the space too, because for years we just had Tether, which was, you know, we saw a lot of kind of the underbelly of Tether these last couple of weeks with the New York AG's report on what they were doing with some of the funds. And, you know, maybe it wasn't as bad as some folks had speculated, but there was, you know, they got fined millions of dollars. Like there was some malfeasance happening there, but now, you know, you see USDC and Gemini has a dollar and like there's diversification and there seems to be sort of a more grown up um, transparent stable coin stable now that people can draw from that are really interesting and then pair that with the DeFi stuff where you know you can like BlockFi is crazy man you can just take crazy. USDC and you can shove it in BlockFi and get eight percent yield on it like <laughs> it, I, I don't know if like I mean at at, at it's almost sounds too good to be true. I think to people outside of crypto, they're like, ah, oh, that must be a scam just because yeah. there's no yeah. way any bank would offer 8% back um, for just like holding your cash there. But yeah, this is like, I suppose this is part of the advantage of being like an early adopter is like over time, I suppose that yield will probably come down, but yeah. maybe it doesn't have to. I don't know. I mean, banks are taking banks sit in the middle of transactions and they take their cut, you know, they give you 0.1% interest for your money. And then they lend it out at 20% interest on their credit cards. And, you know, they have a heyday doing that. But if you take that away and you can automate those systems, then the lender and the lendee can get a lot more of that yield. The yield thing is fascinating. It's so sure. interesting because it, it connects so interestingly with the macro where interest rates are at insanely low rates, you know, historic mm -hmm. lows and yield basically doesn't exist. And uh, there's almost a generational difference there. You know, I, I think some uh, people of older generations kind of think, oh, you can make money by saving and putting it in your bank accounts. No, you can't, you can't at all. If you're in Germany, you, you're losing money. You know, I, there was an right. article in the Wall Street Journal where, you know, banks are turning away deposits because, you know, they're getting penalized by their central bank. And I, I think there's only so long that, um, people's fear is going to overwhelm their greed, you know, and when there are other people that are earning, you know, like you said, like nine or 10% yields for basically just a different 
form of a money market fund, which is kind of what stable coins are, then, you know, people, people are going to join, people are going to yeah. join and do it, I think. Yeah. And I mean, it's almost less risky than a money market because there's yeah. like, there's no, there's no risk. It's USDC unless like there's systemic risk across the entire industry, but Oh, well, we won't speculate on that. That's too no, scary. We <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's great. So, I mean, I'm curious to hear like, what, so what's your plan? What's your kind of vision for the media arm of Blockworks and then the podcast stuff? Like, where do you sort of see it going now? Yeah. So overall, we, we see ourselves as the best source of information for asset managers that want to learn about this space. So right now, over the course of the next 12 months, um, you know, we're really focused on um, nailing down kind of the editorial. So we're going to expand our team of reporters, uh, probably bring on a couple more editors as well, um, and really just increase kind of the both the quantity and the, and the quality of the output and really kind of invest in that as a product. Uh, then uh, further term, you know, there's probably a subscription product in our future, um, which is more uh, research-based. Um, and then in the meantime, you know, we're we're building our own uh, kind of podcasts and, and newsletters in-house. You know, we've, over the years, we've spun up a whole bunch of these things. We kind of, at this point, know uh, what works and what content is going to resonate with people and, and how to monetize them effectively. So, you know, really at the core of what we're doing now is just investing in our own uh, editorial and, and kind of content uh, creation. So that's really the, that's the game plan for the next 12 to 18 months, at least. Nice. Yeah. And I sort sort of in keeping with that, I saw that Jason, your co-founder recently launched a podcast, right? He did. Yeah. Jason, yeah. Jason and I both started our Twitters at the same time and we had a competition to see uh, he would get more followers and, you know, fast forward 12 months, he's at 30,000. I'm, I'm at 3000. <laughs> I just, I just don't have the tweeting gene in me, man. He's sure. good at it. Um, but yeah, he just did launch a, a little plug here. It's called Empire. Uh, you should definitely uh, go listen to it if you like um, hearing about founders in crypto. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm, I certainly will as well. Well, cool, man. How about how about you? Like, are you are you trading? Are you a like a an active participant in the markets? Uh, I am not, man. I, I don't have the constitution for it to be a trade. I would love to. I listen to a lot of traders. I'm like, man, that shit is interesting. Mm -hmm. But no, I just I do not have the skill to do it. I I um you know, I'm obviously I own some Bitcoin and ETH and some other little uh, experiments, shall we say. Um, but you know, overall it's just been fun to watch. Uh and um, you know, I do try to yeah, I try to spread the good word and, and, and talk to people um, and get people to pay attention to this ecosystem as much as possible because I, I you know, I maybe sound like a bit of a bit of an evangelist, but I really do believe that this is a huge area of growth. I'm not going to say this is the future and whatever, but I really do believe it's a really interesting opportunity. And, and I try to talk to, um, you know, my friends who are looking for uh, interesting industries to work in, because for me, you know, I just, this is, this is most likely the, the industry that I'm going to spend my career in. Uh, it would just be really hard to imagine going anywhere else. Just the excitement and the genuine growth that um, is crazy. And I think people are generally pretty open and open to collaborating. And there are some really great people in this industry. So I, I felt really kind of lucky to to work here so far. I don't know what your experience has been like. Yeah, no, same thing. I was just thinking that like when I... <laughs> When I was in, when I was like 2017, and I think I was talking to partners at my law firm about cryptocurrency, they were like, 
you could tell they were like, what the fuck is this kid talking about? <laughs> but, but now it's like, I get calls all the time and people are like, oh, my clients asking me about it. Or, you know, I heard about Tesla buying it. What's going on with that? So it seems like we're sort of finally like the, I don't know, it's like a tipping point. It feels yeah. like in the industry, as far as like legitimacy goes, um, especially in, you know, kind of like the white shoe professions that you and I and others come from, like banking, consulting, law, like these industries are conservative and they're slow to change and they're slow to accept new ideas, especially something as revolutionary as this. So it is pretty exciting to see that happen where, you know, you're getting like serious people coming over to this space. Um, and also you're seeing sort of some cross-pollination start to occur that's good for the space too. Like, you know, the head of Coinbase legal, Brian Brooks going to the OCC, um, you know, you have Hester Pierce at the SEC, Crypto Mom, yeah. you have all of these sort of like people who get it. Um, uh, Caitlin Long in Wyoming, just like killing it out there. So yeah, you see some people in government now sort of pushing the needle. And um, it's it's been really fun to see this last year has been so exciting from and, it, you know, not to go on sort of a long rant here, but um, I've had two people on now who have previously been involved from the legal side where banks used to like basically shut down crypto companies. Anyone in the space, if you tried to get a bank account, it was next to impossible. And then I had Marco Santori on last week, who's with Kraken, and they just got a bank charter in Wyoming. Yeah. So they're going to like go start their own freaking bank, which is yeah, like, seriously, it's, yeah. it's so crazy to think of like the progress we've all made. And, um, you know, it's fun to see folks like you and Jason going out there and launching things to like help continue that progress, bring more folks into the space and just educate people on why this technology is exciting and promising. Yeah. You know, it's a funny note actually on that, uh, just the banking stuff. Yeah. I mean, we've had, you know, Zach Prince uh, appear on a bunch of our kind of webinars and podcasts in the past. And he talks about what it was like starting BlockFi, which is now this, you know, behemoth, I don't even know what, you know, billion dollar, uh, you know, plus company, many billions. And in the beginning, when they were starting, they couldn't get a bank account. You know, they were like, okay, <laughs> we got these, you know, VCs are going to wire us money. We have nowhere to put it. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's nuts. That I is, know. that is totally crazy. And one thing that's kind of going to be interesting to watch uh, over this year is um, the Coinbase IPO might mm -hmm. be right, it's a direct listing might be one of the most uh, impactful things that happens in crypto because people are talking about, you know, hundred billion dollar valuation, which would give it like a 50 X, uh, you know, multiple on its, on its revenue, which is nuts, right? That's yeah. insane. And it does, you know, there's people have been talking about, especially this year is kind of coming boom in M and a, right. And it's kind of, is it going to be crypto companies acquiring other crypto companies, or is it going to be financial services companies acquiring crypto companies? but no one really considered that it actually might be the other way around. Right. Yeah. And if other companies go public, which there are a bunch of other companies that are going to go public this year um, and they get these, the same multiples that Coinbase is getting assigned right now, suddenly you're going to see, you know, regardless of, you know, revenue and EBITDA, these crypto companies that have way larger valuations and probably much better access to capital than a lot of uh, traditional, you know, financial firms. And it actually might go the other way that, instead of, you know, traditional asset managers or banks kind of acquiring uh, 
crypto as a way to buy innovation or, or hoover up assets or whatever it is, uh, it might go the other way. And it might be crypto companies that are buying up uh, traditional companies to kind of get access to whatever, uh, you know, licenses or whatever they have, um, which would be, that'd be a fascinating day. I, I, I'm not going to predict that because that, you know, that'd be a little too out there, but it'd be an interesting thing to watch. Yeah, no, I suppose I hadn't considered that. And I mean, particularly too, a lot of crypto forward companies have sort of large crypto holdings too, which makes sense. And then, you know, if Bitcoin goes to 100, 200, you know, then all of a sudden it's like, holy smokes, they have tons of operating capital. And yeah, yeah maybe that expands the M&A look that they're giving to other industries. Yeah. Well, what, what do you think? I'm curious what your opinions are. Uh, a, do you think, you know, people talk a lot about inflection point or a tipping point or something like that. Do you think that, um, A, we, there's going to be a bust coming after this, like there was in, you know, previous kind of Bitcoin cycles? And, and B, what do you think um, kind of institutions and all these uh, financial services firms that are expressing interest in crypto, where do you think they're going to be when, uh, when and if this kind of crashes? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I have a few thoughts on this. I mean, I have such bad PTSD from 2017, where it's like, yeah. every all time high, I'm like taking profit. And, you know, there's like, my, my friend started this sort of live stream called up only and they had Suzu on from three arrows capital, who's a mm -hmm. prominent fund manager in Singapore. And the guy's just brilliant, if you listen to him, but he talked about how this is he thinks this is like a super cycle, he calls it. And that it's like the cycle to end all cycles where Bitcoin is finally adopted and becomes mainstream. And like, we probably won't see this sort of crash that we saw in 2017. I mean, maybe you'll see some air go out, but he was throwing around numbers that are just jaw dropping on Bitcoin, like from 500,000 to 5 million or something. Um, which I suppose would be close to what the market cap of gold is, right? I think right now, Bitcoin is about 1 20th of what the market cap of gold is. So that may be a long answer of saying, you know, who knows, but my sort of personal view on this is that the more institutions get bought in, the more this kind of becomes integrated into the existing financial system, the less likely it is we'll see sort of a 2017 crash because, you know, once so many large players are in the game, it's not like they're going to dump it the way retail did. It's like, no, if I'm an insurance company, I have Bitcoin on my books. I just have Bitcoin on my books now. Yeah. I'm not going to like go out and sell it because it went down 10%. I'm just going to plan on basically holding it forever. Um, so the more companies and institutions that do that, I think like the volatility will sort of slowly be drawn out. And you've already sort of seen that too in this run up the run-up has been very methodical yeah. to, 50, to 50K. It was just like this slow march every day. It was like, dun, 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 right up the chart. <laughs> but in 17, it was just like a rocket ship. But um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm hopeful that this is kind of the, the tipping point where it becomes part of the overall consensus. I do think some of the markets are pretty frothy, though. Like if you look at NFTs and some of the valuations and you know, sales that have occurred there. I, I don't know. I don't know if those are consistent or sustainable. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the technology is so cool. It's happening on layer one. Like maybe there is some novelty. I, I just, I mean, I'm not going to be the one who's paying 
$250,000 for an NFT. It's just not my thing, but I, I get the narrative and I get the technology. So I, I don't know. I think part of the market could maybe see some corrections and part could not. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We're all just guessing here. I, yeah, I, my, I do. The NFT thing I think is really interesting because on the one hand, I'm with you. I'm just like, do also, it's just funny how the art actually looks. You know, I was listening to this guy say, uh, yeah, I, I agree with the NFTs, kind of the purpose, but I just don't think the art is very good. <laughs> and <laughs> right. it's funny because, you know, I think that'll personally just be the new style of this kind of art. But mm-hmm. I, I really do. Uh, I think, well, I have this memory of, um, you know, I used to play Halo, you know, on my Xbox and, you know, you used to buy these like guidebooks and you would go and you would assemble, you'd find these little skulls. And once you assembled all of them, you got access to this like cool, you know, thing. And it, it was just, there was no purpose or utility to it at all. And the only way I could show my friends is if they actually physically came over to my house. You know, I didn't have that many friends, so I didn't, not even that many people saw it. But uh, I, I remember, I get the value of kind of a proof that something is valuable online and having mm-hmm. ownership to it. And I think maybe... I don't know, maybe this is a, it's a tougher thing uh, for a different generation to grasp, but I think the value of it not, because the, the number one thing people say about NFTs is, well, what am I going to do? Like print it and hang it in my house. And I don't think that's the point at all. You're going to show it online where you can display it to way more people. And I think mm-hmm. the utility in that piece of art is directly proportionate to how many people can see that you have it. So I don't know, man. I'm I'm with you. I, I think that um, I mean, I'm not a I'm not buying it. I don't I don't own any of these NFTs, but I do I do think it's really interesting in the mm-hmm. long run. Yeah, no, I I'm totally with you. And like, um, you, you know, when I was a kid, I'd buy like World of Warcraft gear off of eBay, right? <laughs> or like yeah. Diablo three gear, and like so. I think like, we're outing like, ourselves as the biggest nerds right, right now, now, ever. Yeah. <laughs> gonna get dumped in trash cans after this but <laughs> um but no, no i i think like i get the gaming aspect i get the like art verifiability and the ownership aspect there's some super cool stuff on sort of the audio visual um like kings of leon or and blau cool. and all of these guys are like so i i mean and artists like giving this technology to artists who are like naturally the most creative sort of thoughtful boundary pushers you can find is a really good idea because they're inevitably going to create like super cool use cases and stuff for this. So it's just nice to see it being like actually used out in the real world and like people kind of getting their hands dirty and trying it out, trying new things and um, experimenting with this technology that we've all sort of seen the promise of for a long time, but haven't really seen many applications developed. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I totally agree. And I think that's kind of how you have to get involved in this space, you kind of got to get your hands dirty, whether that's owning like a tiny little bit of Bitcoin, and then you kind of start paying attention to it, or you come at it from like the lens of a developer, you can build all these, you know, zany, wacky things. I don't know. I, I just think, um, you know, the adoption narrative is, is finally starting to take steam as you have these other products that, that people are really using. So yeah. I don't yeah. know. It's cool to see. That's no, and cool. I mean, like I had the one of the guys from Consensus on and he was talking about MetaMask and he said the same thing. It's like, just throw a little Ethereum in a MetaMask and go try DeFi. Like you can read about it, but if you don't like go out and give it a crack, you're not going to get it. Um, and then once you like 
farm something, you're like, oh, wow, like I can make money on my money. And that's yeah. like, that's interesting. And that's a cool sort of concept that, you know, you, you wouldn't get maybe just reading about it. Um, so yeah. I agree with you, like, go out and try this stuff, because there's a lot of neat stuff. And there's so many like niches and little corners of crypto now that are developing from developers to gamers to ec economists and everyone in between that there's something for everyone too. Yeah, there is. Awesome. I use it going back to that uh, iPhone analogy. The um, and this is the last thing I'll say. We can wrap up, but uh, we had um, Avicho Garg of Electric Capital, and he was kind of saying that when when I, the iPhone first came out, everyone thought that it was going to be Maps was going to be the killer feature because it would help you navigate to everything so uh, easily. But it was actually the opposite of that. And the, the utility of the iPhone was it brought your entire world to you. You know, so sure. it's, I, I think we're still at the point in crypto where even if you look at something like DeFi, you're kind of taking financial products and you're, you know, making them just cryptoized and there, there's some utility to that, but the real things that are just, that would have been totally impossible uh, in the legacy world, we're still not even there yet. So it's just a very exciting time to be involved in the space. For sure. Yeah. And that guy's like a galaxy brain too. I've talked to galaxy, him. Yeah. <laughs> that, that guy's incredibly smart. Yeah. Um, Cool, man. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on this. I, I thought this was a great conversation and I appreciate it. Good luck um, it, for my, for my listeners, go check out it's blockworks.co. Um, Correct. Yep. Yeah. You can, uh, you can read up, read all their great articles and content. And then they also have links to all of the great podcast content they have too. And um, yeah, go follow Michael. It's Michael IPPO or at Michael it's IPPO, right? Yeah. IPPO. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'll put it in the show notes too, which will make it easier, but yeah, go, go check it out. But Michael, thanks. Thanks for taking time to come on. It was really interesting and good luck scaling the shit out of Blackworks. <laughs> thanks for having me, bully. Right, thanks. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes go live every Wednesday at 7am Eastern links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter at bully ESQ to continue the conversation. See you next week.